0: David here with a very special episode of the ElfQuest show. On the line, I have none other than Wendy and Richard themselves, who have graced us with their presence. Um, Ryan and I have been trying to pin them down and get them on the ElfQuest show for a little while now, and and the stars have aligned. And so we're here. Unfortunately, Ryan um, can't join us for this call, but um, I am here and we're going to just talk ElfQuest. So, welcome to the show, Wendy and Richard.
1: Well, we are uh, pretty, ex- pretty excited to see what's going to happen here. <laughs> Anything to say, Elf Pop?
2: Uh, this, is, uh, this is a first. Let's see if we uh, don't make it the last. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that is certainly my goal. So um, why don't we just uh, dive in? I, um, I'm really curious how you guys are feeling about the final quest as we are getting to the point of kind of wrapping up the first story arc within the bigger story arc.
1: Richard can express it even better than I uh, about going back to how it felt in the beginning of doing ElfQuest. You know how we were talking about this, babe the uh, the feeling of you know it it, it's, it goes against common wisdom that you should be able to go home again and experience something very very similar to, to what you experienced 30 years ago but we are and 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 that's amazing in itself
2: well I think, I, I think that has to do with the fact that just as it was in the beginning it's just the two of us once again uh, after the original quest and after uh, Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings
0: of Broken Wheel ElfQuest expanded into multiple storylines and we had a whole lot of other people helping us and that was a real wild roller coaster ride for everyone concerned. And um,
2: it was mostly all good. But there, I know speaking for myself, I was missing the sense of just working very closely together with Wendy on a storyline that only the two of us we're in complete control of. And that's back. And that's a very, very good, uh, 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 fulfilling, exciting kind of feeling. David said one thing just a moment ago that I wanted to expand a little bit about, that, that the, the first six issues of Final Quest are the appetizer. <laughs> well, elf quest is not fast food, people. <laughs> you are dining... At a five star Michelin guide, fine restaurant here. We are bringing each course out when it is ready and not one moment before. There's a lot of people
1: who are just not used to waiting months in between issues. Months? It's, you know, compared to how it used to be 30 years ago, they're waiting, you know, less than two months. It's, you know, I mean, my God.
2: Yeah, but you see, a lot of people have have gotten into ElfQuest,
0: they got all the collected books and they ate them up in one... (laughs) Binge reading, yeah.
2: ...orgy of of gastronomic delight, (laughs) Uh, and now
0: they have to wait, and uh, people, I think, are not used to this. Mm. And it shows in some of the comments, because basically all of final quest up to now issues one through
2: six the prologue to the rest of it as you have said it happens in what 36 hours Mm -hmm. maybe 48 tops Mm -hmm. but it's taking a year to come out Mm -hmm. issue by issue Mm -hmm. and people are going well geez the characters have had all this time to think about the situation or to react to the situation and that wasn't a very
0: good reaction or I wonder what's going to happen. Put yourself in their leather shoes. Uh, everything is happening very, very quickly for them. Mm-hmm. And that's actually... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say,
2: but for the rest of Final Quest, you're going to get one issue every two months and you're going to savor it and you're going to let it last and you're not going to gulp it down and wonder where's the next
0: Big Mac <laughs> but you, 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 until it's time and and that is Wolfie making his presence known um, <laughs> Wendy's very own wolf friend right here um, no Richard it's it, it, like it, you guys both are actually queuing up my questions that I had to ask because I was going to ask you about what the storytelling process is Today was like versus the past, um, and you can elaborate on that if you if you will. But the other question that I was going to ask next has to do with exactly what you just hit on, Richard, and that is, um, you know, reader perception of characters and their actions. And you know, without going into any uh, spoilery information about Final Quest, I think we all can agree that poor old Tear has gotten a rough go of it, both in the story and also from a lot of fans, myself included who maybe have given him a little bit of grief for coming off as maybe a little bit whiny and melodramatic. And Richard, you had posted, um, I think maybe on the forums, a little bit of an in-defense of Tier. Yeah! Um, you know, this, this guy has really been put through the ringer, And so I wanted you guys to talk about that, about, you know... The issue of fan perceptions, but also you know explain what tear is really going through well don't um, for,
1: don't forget you know we we inherited tear mm-hmm. tear was created by Joellen aucklandis, and uh she she created quite a, a, an intriguing character mm-hmm. uh being the loner having having a a kind of sense of inner sorrow maybe trying to be a bit too perfect when he's around his own kind in order to, in a sense, protect himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Very often, I mean, you've met people like that who uh, uh, try to uh, over-accomplish in order to fit in. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's how he was coming across to people years and years ago, which is a a marvelous character trait to work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I love love, love, complex characters who are flawed and and, well and I use the word flawed advisedly who simply have quirks Mm -hmm. that you can work with and and whether they should grow through those quirks like Tyr does or never get over their quirks like Rayek (laughs) uh, you know (laughs) <laughs> you know because those quirks are what make him what he is right but but Tear but was a character who needed to grow through his quirks, so we had to put him through some s asterisk asterisk t <laughs> in in order to uh to evolve and and I'm what I'm hoping is that the fans saw him evolve over mm-hmm. those six issues. Of recognition because uh, when I'll tell you, when he confronts his mom and the stuff he says to her, mm-hmm. you know, like he's he is standing up to the anger and hurt he has felt all this time.
0: I, I, that's a beautiful way of putting it, yeah. and um, and yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, though. I mean, we, those of us on the receiving end of the story, you know, we're getting it in these um, you know, these bite sized pieces, and we, and, and Richard, I think you nailed it too. As a long time reader, I have learned. I started reading the graphic novels and then I went to the comics and you learn that to be patient and to trust you guys with where the story is going and don't have, uh, as hard as it is, is to not have knee-jerk reactions to things because Mm -hmm. everything that you are thinking in your brain in reaction to one issue or one event could, once it's put in the context of three or four more issues... Suddenly, becomes a totally different thing, mm-hmm. and so I think that's kind of what you're getting at. And we're just now getting to see that perspective on Tier that you guys are presenting to us. And so, well,
1: it was important to say stay true to what Joellen originally created. Mm-hmm. You know, she she created the, the basis, the framework of this character, his emotional uh, vibration, if you want to put it that way. And that was something that we really wanted to keep. But at the same time, you know, Joellen and I talked about him, you know, through the course of the earlier issues. But there was a point where she turned him over to Mm -hmm. let me fly with him. And uh, uh, where I took him is where I logically think he would have gone, given all the influences around him, given his love for Ember. I'll tell you one thing about Tyr. Mm -hmm. That is a true love. Mm -hmm. He would go to the mat and beyond for her. And uh, in that way, he's, he's very, very worthy of her. And she really, really loves him, too. I mean, there is a, there is a true love there that's, that's, that's perhaps, in a way, even deeper than what uh, Cutter and Lita initially experienced. They had to grow into their, their love. But, but Ember and Tear Boy, you know, they, they've both been through similar stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, a shared history.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I never thought about that. You're right yeah. because Cutter and Lita did not hit the ground running, Mm-mm. being you know deeply in love. They, and mm-hmm. and you said that in the story. You know, slowly they of so the recognition faded into this yes. relationship. and They had to grow into it. Whereas Tyr and Ember, uh, are, how? Are, are, yeah, are starting from a place of you yeah. know intense love, and then the yeah. recognition happens. So yeah. hmm.
1: this is why you know good old Mender stands off to the side. Oh yes, uh, Richard.
2: No, I was just going to say that that also. with with Cutter and Lita, as impulsive as that seemed to be at the time, they still had days and days and days and days to get through their own reactions, to come through their realizations. They had time to do this. It's the hardest thing in the world, I think, um, to take a story like Final Quest as it is now, and this is why you know, we understand readers' reactions to what's going on in there. It's very, very difficult to put yourself in a situation, but I think everyone can do this at, with respect to some event in their life that happened before that they can look back upon. Now, something that happened very, very quickly to you or for you that in retrospect seems like it was happening in slow motion. That's the effect that's happening in Final Quest right now. Imagine whatever it might have been in your own life, whether it was a good thing or a traumatic thing that happened very, very quickly. You think about it now and you've had all of this time to ponder it and and, and, and analyze Process. it and so on and so forth. But at the time yeah. at the time it was happening, you simply reacted blindly, the best you could, and maybe you struck out in fear, or maybe you struck out in in strength, Um, but you were not aware of the the shortness of the time that it took, Mm -hmm. and I would say to people, try to put yourself inside tears or embers mind as this is all happening, with a war going on, and an and escape going on, and uh, raging rivers, and and, and rec- villages.
1: And recognition on top of it all.
2: On top of it all. And I think at least some people still don't really know what recognition really is. Hmm. And try to get down deep into that as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, thinking of it more in terms of uh, an actual chemical, biochemical reaction uh, uh, that is purely reproductive, you know, I, I think, you know, people want to romanticize things, they want the romance, mm-hmm. so that, you know, they, they might kind of put it to the side that this is really for elves more uh, of, of like... A true love? They, yeah, they want true love, mm-hmm. but but... We we do let's put it in very basic terms. This is a mating urge. This is a, what what a stags in rut. This is you know th- this is what happens to elves when they recognize.
3: <laughs> and,
1: you know that that's what uh, in a sense connects them to nature to the basic primitive instinct of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so recognition is not this true love romantic thing. Right. If true love happens on top of it, that's wonderful.
0: And it seems like it generally is likely to happen because part of it is also getting to know the soul yes. of the other person. But obviously yeah. not in all cases. So
1: pretty easy to love someone whose whose soul is laid bare to you and has no secrets mm-hmm. and 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 nothing that they can spring on you
3: mm-hmm. that would
1: be unpleasant because you know them. Right. And and so pretty easy to love someone that yeah. way. I wish we humans could do that, yes. but. <laughs>
2: It's not guaranteed
1: either. No, it's not guaranteed. Love
2: is not guaranteed.
1: No, right. think of Dart and Saren. You know, mm-hmm. they, they liked each other just fine, made a nice baby. But uh, were they meant to be together as life mates? No way.
0: Right. Yeah. Which, how cool that you guys brought Saren, this sort of, you know, six layers deep, buried, <laughs> small character, um, suddenly gets a name drop in the final quest. So cool. Thank you. So cool. Um I never in a million years would have thought that you guys would have brought her back and not I, I'm not expecting to see her or anything else to happen. She's with still her. there. Yeah, but she's still there. Yeah. Just that you know we now know that she's there. And in terms of fannishness, to me that's the perfect kind of little nugget that you guys put into the story that then becomes fodder for tons of fan creativity and fan fiction and speculation and that's part of the fun of being a fan is being able to do that (laughs) whether or not you guys do anything with Seren in in the actual story is almost irrelevant you know we've got this little nugget and my wheels are already turning you know so (laughs) well now that's i think that's the very first time that i've heard anybody say to us to our faces that what we do is irrelevant. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to defend myself now. I,
2: I, I am going to take that as a challenge. <laughs> but, but you know, there, there is a nugget of truth in that too, because we have talked about the final quest as the wrapping up of a major story arc, a major hero's journey. We have got now... Issue 6 is done. It's not out yet. Wendy has just finished the artwork for issue 7. There are going to be, at this point, 24 issues. So four collections of six issues each. Mm -hmm. That means we've got 18 more to go. There's a heck of a lot of story to put in those 18 issues. And as we have often said, we're going to wrap up all the major threads. Are we going to wrap up every single thread? No. And from time to time, you're going to get a little name drop, maybe, of a character who you haven't seen in 30 years Mm -hmm. or you haven't heard the name of in 30 years. And at the same time, you may have some really, really huge question about a major character that doesn't entirely get answered because the answer to that question isn't germane to the wrapping up of this big
0: Story.
1: Well, you know something, you're, you're kind of, oh, we've got a feedback.
0: Yeah, we've uh, got a little bit of an echo.
1: Yeah, let's see. Um, it stopped. Okay, good, it yeah. stopped. That happens sometimes with Skype. Um, you're, you're reminding me of what I call Lord of the Rings syndrome, with uh, Peter Jackson's interpretation of Lord of the Rings, and then, of course, this long, unnecessarily drawn-out thing with The Hobbit um you can over answer questions you can over imagine things you can overthink them and then it stops being a story it just becomes a collection of facts and and data and and uh incidents that really have no meaning and no heart and don't really invent the story even if it's happening to a major character mm-hmm if you overthink what you're doing, particularly as as it relates to fantasy, you are going to lose the thread of the hero's journey. And um, so, you know, I, I think at this stage of the game, Richard and I feel very confident that we're going to be able to lead everybody on the journey and satisfy most of the questions. And questions that aren't satisfied... Goes back to what you were saying. That is for the fans' imagination. If right. if something we do doesn't satisfy you, go ahead and write your own. I right. did. You know, I remember doing that all the time uh, when I was a sixteen-year-old fan of Michael Moorcock.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: wrote my own Elric stories. I went into stuff he didn't go into.
0: That's exactly what I'm talking about.
1: You know, I mean, we we all do it when we're fans, and I encourage it. I mean, certainly, look where it led me. Right. Using my imagination to fill in gaps that I I wasn't seeing filled in in the story, not and that is not default. Moorcock. Mm-hmm. he made the right choices, but there were questions I had that I wanted to play with. Right. So that's for the fans later on.
0: And you know another thing that I just thought of too is that I think that a lot of the a fan's ability to to um, react to a story and be okay with not getting every answer comes with time and maturity as a fan. I mean, I'm almost 40. I've been reading ElfQuest for the better part of my life. When I was 10 or 12, I did not have that ability to do what you were just talking about in the way that I do now.
1: Well, yeah. What were you saying um, about uh, uh, Joe Staten's sinking, for oh. example?
0: <laughs> All right. So Wendy and I were chatting yesterday, um, actually about the, the, the ElfQuest gallery edition that just came out from dark horse, which is, I want to come back to That's another one of my questions for you guys. Um, and we, you know, we were talking about just the old art and the old process, and and how you could, amazing it was to see um, the the whiteout and all of that kind of stuff. And we started talking about the, the 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 you know pretty significant jump in art style that happened between the original quest and then Siege of Blue Mountain, um, because Wendy had Joe Staten as an inker, and that obviously then affected the way that the art looked. And so, Richard, you'll love this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I recently unearthed a letter that um, oh, yes. I I I handwrote or began to handwrite write when I was probably about twelve years old, and I was just not happy at all with you guys for <laughs> changing the way that the art looked. And you know, I just I un you know uh, just sort of unloaded about why I thought that was not a good idea to have somebody other than Wendy, um, you know, working on ElfQuest, and it didn't look the same and it didn't feel right and. You know, and so the the context in which I was sharing this with Wendy was that I can empathize with the fans that to this day might have those kinds of reactions, um, and I, I, I see where they're coming from. But there's so much more there, and um, well,
1: and you yourself have gotten come to appreciate the art of siege.
0: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And yeah. you know, I think again, a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the fan at the time when they're having that reaction, also there well just like with reading the the, this first story arc within the greater final quest you know once you get it all and you kind of see it in context of everything else it becomes a lot easier to understand it and appreciate it whereas if you're just getting you know the the first piece of it you could have a knee-jerk reaction so anyway yeah i am mortally embarrassed to even read what i wrote when i was 12 years old i'm
1: curious (laughs) as to what stopped you from sending the letter.
0: I, you know, I don't remember. It was so long ago. But, um, but yeah, I was one of those obnoxious fans, so.
2: All right. Yes. yes. Well, you've gotten older. <laughs> um, I, I think that happens to almost everyone because I have a similar embarrassing episode from my youth, uh, and it has to do with exactly the same thing. There's an artist whose work... In mainstream comics. Ah, what the heck? Why am I trying to hide it? It was Jack Kirby. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the work that he did on the early Thor issues was inked by Vince Coletta. And I was a teenager and I thought that this was the best stuff in the world. And I found a letter that I wrote to a fanzine wherein I said this in in very broad fanish terms, and it makes me cringe to see that now. It's the, it's the difference between and the evolution from first impression and first love to uh, maturity and the ability to appreciate other styles of artwork. Mm-hmm. I thought that Vinnie Coletta was the only one to ink. Jack Kirby's artwork because that was the first inking of Jack's artwork that I saw. And just when let me—I in- discovered Joe Sinnott, yes, and 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 other inkers, and I thought, oh God, such a fanboy I was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just let me interject, and then and then you go on. Um, it's ironic that Jack of uh, Vinnie was Jack's least favorite inker. So yes. it's <laughs> uh, fanboy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's now, but you see, that was what, and so people who saw your artwork that you drew and penciled and inked all yourself, I can understand that suddenly to have Joe, Joe Staton's inks, and Joe is a consummate artist, and he gave a, a grittiness and a roughness to Siege at Blue Mountain that was absolutely appropriate to the story, but just simply to see a switch in style that you're not used to Mm -hmm. when you have fallen head over heels in love with your total artwork. I can understand what I don't understand (laughs) is over a period of years and decades how certain fans... Do not ever, ever let go of that initial, very strong, very inflexible reaction. Mm-hmm. And who simply to this day say, if it ain't Wendy, it ain't for me. I sort of get that as personal preference, right. but as a judgment of the artwork ability the craftsmanship of other artists, I don't get it.
1: Well, think of following a series like The Avengers, you know, like we did back in the 70s. How many different people drew? I mean, you you, you went from Jack Kirby to Don Heck to uh, John Buscema, uh, on and on and on, and, and they all brought something different and wonderful to it. And, um, you know, I find myself wondering if uh, how you and I learned to enjoy different artists because Marvel would switch around so much. I I, I wonder if we learned flexibility as fans because you kind of had to because if you wanted to follow the story, you had to accept that a new artist was doing it from time to time and bringing something entirely different. But I think I think you
2: said uh, something important there. Sure. If you wanted to follow the story, you had to get used to the new art I remember you know, the first 30-something issues of Spider-Man were done by uh, artwork by Steve Ditko. And then he left, and John Romita took over. And uh, you couldn't imagine a bigger seismic shift, mm-hmm. work-speaking, artwork-wise, than that. by surprise, and I was very much used to and very much in love with Steve Ditko's absolutely idiosyncratic, wild, crazy uh, art style, but I wanted to follow the story because I was invested in the story of this character. Same with the Avengers. They went through, you know, four or five different art teams in the first three dozen issues. hmm but it was the story of these characters that I wanted to continue. And because I wanted to follow their adventures, that gave me the ability to kind of grow into each new artist and, and then to appreciate the differences, well, I the think, strengths, and weaknesses.
1: I think we do have to applaud most of the ElfQuest fans because consider, you know, 36 years of ElfQuest during which there have been, from time to time, different artists who have tackled different parts of it. And, you know, what, what comic has lasted 36 years? This is due to the fans' continuing interest and, and ability to adapt and to, and to follow the storyline, even if, if it wasn't written and drawn by us, and to use their imaginations to sort of connect the dots and make it all, make it all fit together.
2: Absolutely. I I one hundred percent agree with that. It's it's I guess like everything else, there's always going to be a bell curve of fandom. And most people are going to be okay with whatever happens. Some people are going to be totally infatuated with whatever happens, and some people on the other end of the bell curve are just if there's any change, it's no good. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, that's why Final Quest is so, I will use the word dangerous. Um, I mean, I know we're going to lose people along the way because Richard and I are, you know, there are people who don't like what they consider to be rules broken. Ooh. And, and you can just bet your britches that every issue from now on is going to break some rule that's going to piss somebody off.
0: There she said it, Richard.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 but she didn't put the air quotes. Yes. <laughs> we had a, a discussion about this uh, in the forums. Um, there are some, you know, uh, we subscribe to certain... And I'm going to use the R-word rules of storytelling, but they're rules that we have made our own. There are things that are inviolate. There are things that are flexible. There are certain kinds of events that never can happen. There are certain kinds of events that can only happen once. And there are certain kinds of events that, if they happen more than once, then they become commonplace.
1: Right. If it's not, if it's not forbidden, it's mandatory, right?
2: Yes. But within that, we also, um,
0: battery. I, 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 sorry, I'm, I'm plugging in my computer because my battery's about to die and we're in having an excellent conversation. I don't want to lose it. So keep talking, Richard.
2: (laughs) Um, that's one of those rules that's pretty much uh, you know, standard, that,
0: that the recording device will crap out <laughs> at the best part of the interview. Yes, all right, we are now plugged in, so uh, continue. You know, even within that, we have to be careful because, take recognition, for example. Recognition, not something that can never happen because, obviously, it has happened. It's not something that can only happen once
2: because it has happened more than once, but we have taken great pains to keep it from becoming a common type of, of event in the ElfQuest universe, because the minute recognition becomes commonplace, it loses all of its mystery, all of its power.
3: Mm-hmm. And so when Wendy talks about breaking rules, I know
2: that she's not saying, okay, rule number 27 in the ElfQuest universe is such and so and in this issue we're going to break it because we can
0: Mm -hmm. because we want to mess with the readers (laughs) you sure that's not what you're doing
2: (laughs) uh, that's that's a happy byproduct (laughs) um do the readers have to believe in the story and the characters as much by the time we get to the end of this as you always have? And if we start playing fast and loose, of course, you're going to you're going to drop it because you're going to say, oh, we have broken faith with you. Mm-hmm. And we will have if we were to do something like that. But there are twists and turns that are entirely within the uh, framework of ElfQuest acceptability right. that you're not expecting.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, just for the most obvious example, the, whole, the elephant in the living room is the way Ember and Tear's recognition was handled because the title of the story is Recognition, which would lead you to think this is all about Amber and tears recognition. They're gonna have a baby and you know everything's gonna be you know just just hunky-dory. And instead, uh, we, we flip that on its ear. It is most certainly about recognition, but it's about the recognition of the fact that you don't always have to give in to recognition if it's not the right time. You see. Yes, and that, that <laughs> is a
0: classic, peeny sort of, you know, I don't even know what the right word is, you know, uh, tricking of the fans, if you will, into <laughs> thinking one thing and then having something totally different happen. And what's interesting about that is, um, I was going to, I think that is the exact perfect example of what Richard was just talking about, um, where you can still have your internal consistency with mm-hmm. your, you know, your quote unquote rules. But there's a lot of leeway, and you guys are obviously master storytellers, and you're not gonna let those opportunities to tell a story and take us into new places go unexplored. And that's what makes ElfQuest great. I mean, we don't wanna just read about yet another, you know, happy go-lucky couple that recognizes and has a baby. You know, what I mean yes. we've been there, we've seen that, and I'm sure we'll see that more. But taking one example and Figuring out a way to sort of twist it a little bit so that you have a really fascinating plot development that has kept fans jabbering on, you know, in one direction or another. I mean, that's what makes ElfQuest good. That's what is a, you know, what makes you guys amazing storytellers.
1: Oh, thank you. But you see, beyond that, I think we both paid attention to um, the consequences you know, we, we don't make changes willy-nilly without looking at the consequences mm-hmm. of it. Uh, it. We made it clear that not all the elves were happy about Ember and Tear's decision. That was my
0: favorite line of that issue because it showed me that you guys... I mean, essentially, it recognizing that by putting that line in there on the part of the characters...
1: Which which specific line are you saying? The, the line
0: where it says, you know, there's like... A, um, uh, there was a mix of, you know... Relief and sadness and doubt, yes. um, you know, mixed it in a with caption, their, yeah. yeah, with their decision to yeah. not do, you know, to try to try to kind of turn recognition off, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and that the, the 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 elves themselves might be having a similar reaction to what the fans might be mm-hmm. thinking, like, oh, what, what, you know, oh no, I really wanted to see their baby. Oh, is this really the right thing to do? I don't understand this. You know, change is scary, and like. The Think fact how that...
1: disappointed Shen Shen is. Oh, uh... She's getting ready to deliver <laughs> that baby, you
0: know. <laughs> oh Shen Shen. I know, I know I'm not allowed to ask anything that might even reveal any kind of tease or spoiler, but I'm dying to know where Shen Shen is going in the final <laughs> quest, especially since she's on the cover of issue seven. And I'll just leave it at that. But you are entirely
2: entitled. To ask any question you want, <laughs> but <laughs> you just won't answer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wish
1: I wish the fans could see Elf Pop's face right now. We are skyping with him, so we get the pleasure of seeing his facial expressions,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and uh, it's it's an expression I know quite well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> wow! That moment, you remember that moment in.
0: Uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas when the smile goes up? <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, it's pure delight in the torture of the fan and you know you're absolutely entitled to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know I thought that was uh, the, the way that you guys handled the the breaking of again, I'm doing air quotes here, the rule of recognition in the final quest mm-hmm. was genius on so many levels. No, number one, as I'm sure you guys saw, some fans grumbled in the very beginning It's like, oh, the recognition storyline. Guess I, I, I bet I can guess what's going to happen here. Tierra and Ember are going to recognize and have a baby. And so you guys, again, geniusly kind of thumbed your nose at all of us who were <laughs> who were saying, oh, well, this is so obvious. You know, I I can tell where it's going. And uh, no, wrong. Um, but yet you did it in a way that didn't break your internal consistency, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like every elf. Is going to be now saying, "Oh no, no recognition. You know, this is a special circumstance." Um, you know, Ember's you know innate ability inherited from her mom to sort of hold things off, and then it's pretty obvious, at least to me, that in order to do what they wanted to do, they needed Mender and Lita's help. It wasn't like not just... just
1: Mender and Lita; they needed the Pod right there. Right, uh, and and this is something Richard is signaling here. You bet. Um, uh, you see, another factor added to recognition that wasn't there in the beginning, when recognition was initially conceived a decade ago, mm-hmm. the element of the palaces, the problem with the palace, didn't exist in uh, in in that storyline mm-hmm. back then. Introducing that problem into Final Quest just ratcheted it up a notch, mm-hmm. because to to accomplish the changes like, like denying recognition, the, there has to be the presence of the palace for the healers to work with. Right. So having the pod there enabled Mender and Lita to do that. I, I honestly don't, I think it would have been much more of a struggle to go against that ancient, ancient drive, mm-hmm. even with both healers as great as Lita and Mender are. Right. Um, but they uh, had the additional presence of a part of the palace to help them. And that's exactly
0: how I read it as, as, as a fan reading that, that it wasn't, again, just a willy-nilly thing, that suddenly this thing that you have established as so critically important and powerful can just be turned off with a switch. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And this is, this is this, see, I can weave Carl Sagan into this now. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said about UFOs, That It it wasn't that he denied their existence, but extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And so far we don't have any of that. Extraordinary events in Elfquest, like the denial and the shutting off of recognition, requires extraordinary circumstances. You know, some fans grumble, oh, you know there's a rule you recognize you have a cub. Well, nine times out of ten, or 99 times out of a hundred, that is what will happen. But for the sake of good storytelling, there's that one leftover time that the rule is air quotes here broken, but it's an extraordinary very rare event and it requires extraordinary circumstances mm-hmm. which is what Wendy
0: was talking about yeah. you needed all the healers there, you needed the extra jump start by having a piece of the palace there to to, to infuse some more energy into this mm-hmm. that's not going to be the case very often, if at all ever again Right.
1: Mm-hmm. you know I just had a minor epiphany that, that seems so cool to me we could have if we wanted to to titled the first, the very first five issues of ElfQuest, Recognition, because it's the story of Cutter and Leta's recognition. So ElfQuest starts with uh, a a sequence that is a story about recognition. And Final Quest starts with a sequence that is a story about recognition. And yet it, it turns it on its ear. So... We are really going back to the way in which we began the story. Um, you could even relate it to to how the story opens on the very first page with Red Lance's capture. Mm-hmm. Because Recognition contains Ember's capture, and she even relates it back to Red Lance's mm-hmm. capture in one thoughtful moment. Yeah. So, so I think I, you know, I was not conscious of this at the time, but it's kind of like we really are going back to our roots here, but turning it on his ear.
2: However, (laughs) this this is to all fans listening. Don't imagine for one nanosecond that you can now go back and look at all of the rest of the 20 issues of the original quest and suss out the
1: direction <laughs> final quest is gonna Yeah. Go. Y- y- don't go back and say, okay, let's just turn this on. It's ear, And then we'll figure out how yeah. final quest is going to go. Uh-uh.
0: Do you really think any of us think that we could ever possibly do that? <laughs> <laughs> figure out where you guys are going. I mean, we'll try, but <laughs> there, there are some, some
2: people who go digging pretty deep. Uh, into yeah. The available evidence looking for hints <laughs> yeah. and
0: clues. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, that's part of the fun. Um, all right, so I want to shift the conversation slightly and ask maybe a little bit more fun, lighthearted question for each of you guys. Um, and uh, well, I'll just I'll just ask, and you guys can answer how you will. So this one's for Wendy. Um, I am curious what the experience of being a grandparent is for Cutter and or Lita, and you can answer as Wendy or you can answer as those characters. Um, that, you know now the core face here and they've gotten to see her and spent time with her and does it does do, does it impact them do they think differently than a human would
1: well uh, you know having an adopted human daughter and and her ironically providing them with their first grandchild right. um you know was was dealt with to a certain extent in the special uh see here's the thing about cutter that I try to keep reintroducing in subtle ways into the story in the special I called him the chief who remembers. Um, putting putting oneself into elf think, you know, as you're reading elf quest trying to imagine what it's like to be an elf with not much sense of time passing, you know, the sun come up comes up, the sun goes down, the moons pass. But you don't keep track of it the way humans do because time's important to humans. But not so much to the elves. So so Cutter famously said back in the Nine and a Half special, you made me human. Mm-hmm. And and what he meant by that is he cannot ever fully get rid of sometimes he gets close, but he can never get fully rid of his awareness of time. So even though you ask this lightheartedly, having grandchildren for Cutter, is one more little bit of evidence of, of time, you know, a birth, a death, it all happens within a space of time for him now, and he remembers. So, he knows his human grandchild has a short time to run, as the elves like to say, I'll, I'll run with them however long they have to run. Humans have a short time to run. Corafe is, you know, she's forever. So, this all of this is is um, shall we say on Cutter's mind.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Lita, of course, is flowing with it. You yeah. know, She she just enjoys new life and and is keeping it in her particular perspective. Okay. If, now can you haven't asked this question, but just to toss a, a little bit more to what Wendy said, there is also the fact that.
2: And this has come up in different contexts before. Once an elf matures, once he gets or she gets to be into adulthood, which would be 20, 30, 40 years, there's not a whole lot of functional difference between a grandparent, a parent, a child, Mm -hmm. a grandchild, Mm -hmm. in terms of what they look like, how they act, how they interact. Mm -hmm. Um... I know that there's Elfquest family trees all over the place out there, but but psychologically, emotionally, internally, you could have unto the seventh generation of a given line of elves, and after a certain amount of time, they all look alike, they are all acting alike, they're all vital, they're all vigorous, they're all probably interbreeding Mm -hmm. successfully, and that's just totally not whatever happens with humans because mm-hmm. we have a short span. we live three, maybe four generations if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. And there is a big difference between a grandparent and a grandchild in terms of how they look, how they act, how they feel, how they think.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's another difference. Yeah, no, that's a great way of thinking about it that I didn't really think about before, That that the way that you guys have set up these... Familiar relationships. Like they're there, they exist. The elves have words for them.
1: Yeah, but Tyr can acknowledge that Winkin is his father, he understands my sire. He understands Grandsire, mm-hmm. you know, but cu- that Cousins is where he's being totally flummoxed.
0: And <laughs> you, you can know, see it on his face. And, uh, uh, he, you he's know, like, huh?
1: So, <laughs> so you see, past Cousins, the elves don't really, right. you know, everybody's a cousin. You know, yeah. Sava calls everybody little cousin. Right. And and past that, they don't go into second, third, fourth Cousins and all of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and well, I mean, it's another example of how you guys have made the elves aliens. Um, you know, I mean, they've got the pointy ears, they've got heads bigger in proportion to their bodies than humans do, but, um, this is one that maybe is a little bit, uh, you have to unpack it a little bit to really get and understand at how the way that they deal with these family relationships is so different from us because they are alien, because they live much longer than us and they don't need to have the same kind of Mm
3: -hmm.
0: barriers or rules about how you interact with. Your grandmother or your grandchild or whatever. So, yeah, uh,
1: Dart and uh, Dart is uh, you know on the same level as his parents now because of the the, the irony of the time travel right. element. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so Dart does not react to Strongbow and Moonshade as as authority figures so much. He definitely has his own opinions.
3: Right.
1: And and uh, yet at the same time, there's an element of respect there. Mm-hmm. But. but It's not, um, excuse me.
0: Incoming. (laughs) Incoming.
1: Robocall.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, um, I I didn't, I, this is why I wanted to ask a fun question like that. Yes. Once the, we start talking about it, um, all these sorts of cool things come out. So.
1: So you had a fun question for Richard. So the fun,
0: the fun question for Richard, obviously this is going to be a Skywise question. Um, (laughs) but, um. Help us understand what, is, what it feels like for Skywise to finally have, like, to know that the barrier of you know, being able to leave the world and explore the stars feels like. Especially since they haven't actually done it yet.
2: Oh, my heavens. Um, some years ago, and and this is by way of prelude to the answer to this question, Um, we were asked to design a mascot for an experiment that went up on the space shuttle in, I think, 1997. And we had a lot of fun with that. And Wendy created a brand-new character called Starfire. And um, when it was all over, uh, there was a cartoon of Starfire kind of thumbing his nose at Skywise because Starfire actually went into real-time, real-world outer space, which is something that I, in my wildest dreams, would still love to do. I mean, if John Glenn could do it at age 77, damn it, there's nothing stopping me except the <laughs> fact that, and, um, that Skywise now has the entirety of the universe open to him, is a, oh, it's a very, very mixed emotional thing for me. If, 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 if I could go into that universe and be as one with Skywise, I would do it. Uh, because the notion that he has access to everything out there that is hinted at by such wonderful imagery as, for example, the Hubble telescope is sending back to us. That would be that. That's my ideal dream of spending eternity, or you know, at least the next umpteen centuries. Um, he, like I am, he is torn. However. Because he's kind of a eat-your-cake-and-have-it-two character. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh, to say the least.
2: Yeah. Uh, he knows he has access to all of this wonderful uh, exploration. But he is also very, very bound, heart and soul, to the world of two moons because of his bond with Cutter. Um, he has already seen and experienced at least a couple of times the difference between what he is and what Cutter is at at the core. Uh, in, I believe it was Shards, they actually took the palace out into space and made it invisible, and Cutter absolutely freaked out. And Skywise was fine, but he saw that reaction, he realized that there is this difference. They went back down and and Cutter and Skywise have from time to time have little uh, conversations about the differences between them. Um, Those differences are not so insurmountable that
3: there's a rift, but they do exist. Mm -hmm.
2: And We acknowledge the possibility that those differences could play a part in their future lives.
1: Well, bottom line, it's a love story. It is the love story of ElfQuest. You know, more than anything else, Cutter and Skywise are the love story. And uh, what I'm excited about is that Final Quest is going to give us a chance as we go along with it, to uh, go deeper into that love story than we ever have before. Because more is on the line now. Harder choices are coming. And I won't say anything beyond that. But, but when things are, are, are more intensely on the line, uh, <laughs> that, that's when the ante gets up on the emotional uh, turmoil of the whole thing.
2: If if you were to ask me, as me, you can have uh, one of two things. You can go out and explore the universe, take all the time you want, go as far as you want, but you can never come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. Or you can stay here on Earth with all of the people that you know, all of the relationships that you have, all the friends and family, and you name it. But that means you will never go out there. Pick one. (laughs) Well, for me, that's kind of easy because the technology
1: for me to, uh, you know, pick the out there option just doesn't exist. But what if it did? But what if it did? that would be a
2: real difficult choice. And I, and I would pose that kind of question anybody reading ElfQuest. If you had two really powerful, incompatible choices like that, which would you choose? And simply telling ElfQuest gives us the opportunity to look at questions like that and to go deep into them, whether or not we explore them fully, you know, it goes back to, are we going to tie up every loose thread? Are we going to make everything really pretty at the end of ElfQuest? No, we're going to tell the very, very best story that does justice to the characters. Period. End of report. Um, but it gives us the opportunity to really look inside the characters and thus inside ourselves. Uh, and to exercise those storytelling muscles, and that's a really, really fun thing to be able to do, even after almost forty years.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's probably the perfect way to end this. Um, so, I want to thank you guys for taking the time and sharing, you know, all these amazing insights. It's as a fan. Getting to have this conversation with you guys always blows my mind. So <laughs> hopefully, you know, through the ElfQuest show, we're we're uh, sort of able to pay that forward a little bit and bring your exact words out to everybody out there that's listening. And I know, uh, even though Ryan couldn't be here with us today, that he's going to be over the moons about being able to uh, to to do just that uh, via the show. So
1: I noticed you said over the moons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, confessions of an ElfQuest fan number four hundred and seventy-two. I always use floral, even when I'm not talking to you guys, and I get crazy looks from it all the time. So that was completely unconscious, but you you, you caught me.
1: No, you just know where you're from.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> all right, you guys. Well, thanks a lot, and um, thanks for everything you do.
1: Oh, our pleasure, and, and I mean that in the most literal sense. It is our pleasure.
0: Absolutely. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.
2: The music you heard throughout this episode was a track called
1: Call of the Ancients from the album Eternal Saga by anti And that track, plus thousands of others, are available royalty-free for your multimedia projects from
2: gemendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Till next time, Shade and Sweetwater.